it aims to tell a story of refugees as they are, which is as powerful, creative, beautiful, and equal uh, human beings who have the ability to create an impact in their communities. Welcome to the Young Changemakers Podcast Season 4. In this episode, we will be talking to inspiring young people from all around the world to explore how they are making a positive change in their communities. This podcast is a global changemakers production. To learn more about how you can also make a difference, visit our website global-changemakers.net. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Young Changemakers podcast. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm really, really nice to reconnect with you. And uh, I know. Yeah. Uh, so you probably don't know this, but Andrew and I met in 2010 at the Global Changemakers Global Youth Summit in London. And it was wonderful to reconnect and just get to know what Andrew has been up to these days. Uh, how are you doing? Likewise to you, Sarah. It's been awesome to reconnect with you and hear about the wonderful things you're doing. I'm doing good. Um, everything's, everything's good. Excited to talk with you. Um, and also super wonderful to reminisce about uh, that summit because Global Changemakers made a, a big difference in my life. So um, yeah, super excited to chat with you. Oh, that's, that's really nice to hear. And perhaps we can start with the beginning of how you started as a change maker. Yeah, I think, uh, so I went to the summit in 2010 in November uh, with you, as you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I think that was a really big moment for me because a couple years prior, that was my first year of college. And a couple years prior was probably my first moment, breakthrough moment of realizing I could make an impact in my community and realizing where my heart for others kind of uh, where it lied. Uh, and so for me, it was uh, in my high school, uh, I was, uh, I had been like class president during my four years. And each of the years I was sort of really focused on within my high school activities, which mm -hmm. was really important because it was bringing the class together across different, you know, racial, ethnic, socioeconomic lines. It was, it was really mm -hmm. cool and I'm really proud of it. But it was the senior year when I, and this was my project coming into the Global Changemakers program, I created something called Ignite Peer Mentoring, which has continued and served schools across the country with its curriculum. Mm -hmm. But basically, I, I had went to a school that was doing well in terms of academics. It was a public school, uh, but was known for like very strong academics. There were other schools in my hometown of Jacksonville that had failing kind of scores and weren't doing as well. And in my junior year, the school brought in some of those students who are predominantly from the lower income neighborhoods in our city and predominantly black and brown students. Mm -hmm. And I, the, the kind of reaction at my school, at least from some folks, was surprisingly kind of not as inclusive and not as welcoming as what was in my head or what I expected. Mm -hmm. So I started a peer mentoring program the next year that brought together almost everyone in our senior class to volunteer their time to be mentors to the ninth grade class more broadly, including those students, because we felt like the big gap wasn't at all ability. Mm -hmm. you know, so a lot of those students, I guess the one piece I missed is a lot of those students dropped out in the first year, something like 44%. And so uh, the, the gap wasn't ability, it was just a lack of sense of belonging at the, at the school. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to create that belonging, not just for those students, but for everyone so that anyone considering dropping out or feeling like they didn't belong got the, the clear message from day one that 
they belonged and that they could do well and that they had a friend in the senior class. And so that was kind of what started it. And I think it was the kind of through line for me was any person who is in a disadvantaged situation or isn't treated or portrayed equally, uh, mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that they were, and I wanted to mobilize people across backgrounds to make sure that they were. And so it's been beautiful to see that program go into other schools and, and Global Changemakers was super inspiring to give me the confidence and some funding to continue it. That's amazing. And how did you make it happen in terms of you went away for college? Like how, how did you organize that, uh, that project so that it could continue by its own? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, college was a helpful point. And so if anyone's listening who's like in university, I've spent a lot of time in school, so I can uh, talk a lot <laughs> about how to balance projects with school. Uh, but I, I remember I wasn't necessarily going to continue with Ignite aside from it being at my high school and maybe one mm -hmm. or two others. But I wasn't going to keep developing it until I took a class that was called Social Entrepreneurship in Action with a professor mm -hmm. named Tony Brown at, at where I went to school at Duke. And he really encouraged me. Like he's again, I was class president in college, so I was sort of very in the camp. Very active, yeah. Yeah, and and he was like, I, it seems like you have a passion for outside of school, like local community. And so let me encourage you to maybe push on that. And then we um, through that class developed a more concrete curriculum for Ignite, and then worked with a school in Durham, North Carolina, and then made the curriculum open source. Uh, and then basically one thing I, I realized is as I moved on to other things, there's always a way you can transition something that can make it last and its impact in some fashion. And so with Ignite, we put the curriculum online. We created a Google Drive where teachers and, and counselors could share resources like you know, letters to their administrators to petition to get the program going, uh, adaptations to the curriculum, logos you know that mm -hmm. adapted to schools, things like that. And so, um, yeah, we've had, I mean, last I checked, uh, well over uh, 100 schools use the curriculum in some form. And yeah, different, sometimes it's 12th grade to 9th grade, sometimes it's um, middle school, uh, mm -hmm. but any kind of peer mentoring that encourages younger folks. This is one of the themes that have been coming up in the podcast and specifically in this season is that sometimes some people believe that they need to be the center of whatever it is that they're doing. and uh, then I see projects like this one and you're like, okay, I started this project, but I want everyone to have access to it because it's the cost that it's important. And then let's make this available for everyone. And it doesn't need you to be in the forefront and still checking everything, but you can move on to other things. And then if the schools want to improve the curriculum or per perhaps since this started, well, uh, quite a while ago, <laughs> I'm starting to feel old, <laughs> but, <laughs> but since this started a while ago, perhaps right now, they, I don't know, cyberbullying is much more prevalent than back then, or there's other ways in which things are happening and, and then they can actualize it and improve it. But that's on the people that, that, that want to implement the project in their own school. So I feel it's a brilliant way of creating something that can last forever yeah. uh, without you being uh, to, being there micromanaging every single detail. I think that's really Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and just the value of partnerships too because um you know even in my more recent work with Remex America for example, which joins storytelling and economic impact to highlight and support immigrant and refugee and first gen entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Um 
you know, just that partnership theme is important because at first we were thinking, so we released our film um, streaming on PBS and then that was kind of the launch of it. And then we wanted to do zero interest loans or some kind of investment platform for immigrant entrepreneurs, but we wanted to do it quickly because COVID-19 had really hurt immigrant and refugee entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs mm-hmm. of color in, in the U.S. and around the world. But we were focused on the U.S. for DreamX America. And so we ended up partnering with Kiva U.S., Kiva being the you know, major nonprofit that focuses on micro lending through crowd lending. And that was probably the best decision we made because rather than starting from scratch, mm-hmm. we sort of saw an organization that was very effective at what mm-hmm. they were doing. And we partnered with them, but they had gaps in terms of reaching immigrants and refugee entrepreneurs. So then we partnered with immigrant welcoming centers. And so, yeah. I think it's a very important point you made about yeah. not needing to be in the center and not needing to do everything. But actually, it's your time is better spent sometimes, and you're more. It's more in line with the mission to pa- partner with people, especially on the front line, who are more in tune with the problems going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so exactly. That's, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because starting from scratch is incredibly hard. If you're talking about no any project, to start from scratch is incredibly difficult. But if you build from what's already been done before, then you already have some resources saved. And, and if you partner with organizations that have enough experience and uh, enough reach already, then you're going to be much more effective. And thank you so much for for talking a little bit about DreamX America. I think that is incredibly interesting. And is there anything you would like to sort of zoom in into that that particular experience because I know that there are a lot of people out there interested in this and I can see a shift there into you becoming a little bit more interested in sort of social entrepreneurial skills and that mindset. Yeah, I think um, my big lessons from DreamX America, I think one, maybe specific to the topic, but I think there is so much, and, and this ties a little bit to the book as well, is there's so much power in supporting, even in a small way, low-income kind of disadvantaged communities on the ground. So mm-hmm. immigrant and refugee and first-gen entrepreneurs across the U.S. Um, had a, all, all small businesses, but especially kind of um, those groups really struggled during the pandemic because they didn't mm-hmm. have often as much cash on hand to weather a storm like that in terms of revenue. And it was very little. Our loans are between one and $15,000. They're on average seven or $8,000. And they're zero interest loans, but they've gone a very long way. About half of our entrepreneurs said that they may have or would have definitely had to close their businesses during the pandemic without the loan. 80% said they couldn't get one otherwise. And so just realizing, you know, it's interesting having been at Stanford for the last couple of years in, in Silicon Valley, hearing the kinds of dollar figures being thrown out. But then in most communities in, in the world, just a little bit of infusion of funding, especially for mm-hmm. small business owners, can make a huge difference. Um, so I just found that to be really inspiring. And I also would say every application I, I receive, almost every single application, talks about the desire to help and serve their community which I thought was incredibly inspiring because these are folks who see entrepreneurship as a way to serve others and, and create community. Um, and advance I, their whole community, not just their own families or their, yeah. their own livelihoods, but the whole community. Exactly, exactly. And I thought that was really beautiful and something that we should aspire to in the broader entrepreneurial ecosystem. Yeah, and, and what you were mentioning before about how you think or someone would think looking at 
I don't know, any news from Silicon Valley that if you give a person $1,000, that's like, I, I don't know, that's nothing. That is an experience that we've had in, at Global Changemakers because we provide funding for young changemakers. But if you think of it as this is the first person that will ever give you money for a project, for example, in the case of, of GCM, but in these loans, this is the first company that will lend you a hand and say, okay, I'll give you this money and then you, you're going to pay me back, right? But just the fact that it's zero loan, it's already, it already creates a huge impact. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's the fact that someone sort of gives you the stamp of approval and then if they do well, then they're going to get, well, either from us, we recommend our change makers for other grant opportunities or we write recommendation letters for them to study or to, I mean, a lot of things, there's a lot of opportunities. So just mm -hmm. those small loans or those small grants can also open a whole universe of opportunities that come afterwards. So I, I feel that that is, that is something that, that we're not uh, reflecting about enough and, and just disregarding those, like those numbers being, uh, and you just mentioned a book, but uh, the book is 25 million sparks. It would be very interesting if you talked a little bit about the book, what it is about and uh, how it's been like to, to write a book about refugees. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so it's called 25 million sparks, the untold story of refugee entrepreneurs. And it tells the story of three Syrian women entrepreneurs uh, who live in the Zatari refugee camp in Jordan, Esma, Melek, and Yasmina. Esma is a storyteller and social entrepreneur in the camp who brings kids to her trailer and, and tells stories with Syrian protagonists and, and tries to create uh, an educational environment of, of encouragement and empowerment for uh, the kids in the camp. Yasmina is a wedding dress shop and salon owner who has created uh, moments of celebration for, for brides and grooms throughout the camp. And Melek is a, an artist who has created art that often is very beautiful, the most beautiful art I've ever seen. Not that I'm like an expert. Um, <laughs> tells stories often about human rights and advancement of women and girls' rights. So those are the three women. It sort of follows their lives. And then it zooms out and tells the story of about 20 camps and cities around the world. And it aims to tell a story of refugees as they are, which is as powerful, creative, beautiful, and equal uh, human beings who have the ability to create an impact in their communities. And then it, it kind of leads towards this conclusion, hopefully, to people that Welcoming and investing in refugees is a moral imperative, and it's also an economic benefit significantly for, for countries. And so it uh, tells those stories and then zooms out to the broader issue. I've spoken to people working in the refugee space, and a lot of them are refugees themselves. And they speak about this narrative that, that has gone through everywhere, well, but mainly it has been a vision of refugees and even migrants in, in general of people that, you know, they come, they take advantage of, uh, of, of the country where they go to. They're not, they're not doing anything for the, for the communities where they arrive. They're just taking away a lot of things or they're like, oh no, we should feel sorry for them. It's too bad that this is happening. And what I see here is a completely different narrative because you are telling a story of three women that are <laughs> rock stars in whatever they're doing. And it definitely shifts that. And, and of course, there is a crisis. There are situations that are impactful and are really hard. But 
there's also uh, an incredible hope. Before we started uh, recording, you were talking about how you get asked a lot about entrepreneurs and refugees and how they can be great entrepreneurs. And perhaps you would like to, uh, mm -hmm. to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. And you said it exactly how I put it as well in terms of the media and often political portrayals of refugees. The way I kind of tend to put it is they're portrayed as victims or as villains. Um, mm. So they're portrayed exactly like you said, as self, uh, helpless, pitiful, only kind of in mm -hmm. need, can't contribute. And often the, the motivation for portraying that, them that way is to raise money for you know, cause. So sometimes it's a good motivation, but it's quite dehumanizing. It's not helping them in the long term because of course you can donate once or twice, or even there are people that commit to donate monthly to a specific cause. And that's, I mean, that's something that helps, but mm -hmm. what if we look at the problem in a whole different situation as a, as a whole system and, and, the, the, and as a complex one, mm -hmm. um, but sorry, I interrupted. No, no, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And then the other side is kind of the villain side, which is uh, more directly dehumanizing, which is, um, or equally as directly dehumanizing, but it's, you know, mm -hmm. they're taking our jobs, they're going to commit crimes, they're going to destroy our culture. Uh, mm -hmm. And often there's a, as we saw under the Trump administration in the US, there's a bit of a rhetoric focused on countries with people of color, even more so than Trump's uh, terminology of S-hole countries. I don't know if, if you saw that, but there was a bit of a, we don't want to welcome people from certain countries, which um, mm -hmm. was quite damaging. Although I talk about a lot when I talk about the book is that it's actually really an apolitical issue. Both sides, mm -hmm. I think, of the aisle in, in the U.S. have mm -hmm. not done a good job of ramping up our involvement in welcoming refugees. And the same is true across countries throughout, throughout the world. And it's both, again, the moral thing to do and the economic thing to do. The U.S. economy in a 10-year period uh, under a study by the federal government showed that uh, refugees contributed $63 billion in net fiscal yeah. impact. Then refugees are 1.5 to 2x more entrepreneurial than native-born citizens. And so there's an easy economic argument as well. So it's, it's sort of what I hope is it's things like the book and other kind of storytelling can help people cut past the political cloud mm -hmm. of buzzwords and say, oh, okay, these are real human beings who deserve to be welcomed in, just period, because of who they are. And then, oh, by the way, we're also kind of foolish to not be welcoming them in because they're incredible people who can contribute mm -hmm. so much to our lives and hire people here in the, in the U.S. or in the U.K. or wherever you are. And, uh, and to your question uh, on why they're more entrepreneurial, there's many reasons, and it's pretty amazing because refugees and immigrants more broadly face a lot more barriers than the average mm -hmm. citizen. And so... There's language barriers, there's access to capital, there's initial mm -hmm. capital, often, you know, refugees like, like Yasmina Malik and Asma came to, to camps or to their new homes with very little, but, you know, a few trash bags of, of savings or things like that. There's uh, lack of networks and there's trauma also associated mm -hmm. with, you know, refugees having dealt with either you know, losing their own limbs or, or being uh, in significant pain because of injuries from blasts or other things in their in their hometown or uh, and or um, losing family members uh, you know constantly having calls back home for the family members who stayed wondering mm -hmm. what's going on the kind of mental limbo of just you know am I going to be here for a long time is the camp going to exist is is Syria going to be peaceful can I go back am I going to be resettled so there's a lot of mental anguish as well mm -hmm. but despite all of that uh, refugees have an Im immense about amount of entrepreneurial 
um, Spirit, like I said, often 1.5 to 2x more entrepreneurial. They uh, have revitalized cities across the world and uh, Utica, New York, um, in Egypt, there's a report recently on a few cities there that have been kind of turned around by Syrian refugees. And uh, part of it is, number one, a ability, a resilience, so an ability to push through kind of any business obstacles. And that's partly because they push through much more significant personal obstacles. And so some of these kind of setbacks that might push away another entrepreneur are pretty much nothing uh, for, for many refugee entrepreneurs. Another is tied to that, but it's a level of commitment. So Yasmina in the book sold all of her wedding jewelry uh, when she was at the camp to start and you know, start renting dresses and all that. So that was both the only really economically valuable and also very personal valuable belongings to her. And so for her, it was she was all in. She didn't have a second option, and she was exactly. doing. Exactly, don't have other choices. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and so it has to work. Yeah, it has yeah. to work, and it's not like a lot of the folks. Again, you know, not to criticize Silicon Valley or, or anything, but a lot of the people who are celebrated in Fortune magazine or Forbes or, or whoever it is are often people who did have a backup option or maybe did have mm -hmm. saved up. We have a joke, you know, at business school we see the cases, and often. It's somebody who had a million dollars of their, their mom's or dad's money um, to start with. Um, so that, this is as far from that as possible. When they're yeah. like, I, I, I started 10 different <laughs> startups and, and they all failed. <laughs> right, right. How are you going to do 10 different startups and exactly. fail and exactly. still do the next one, the 11th one, yeah. right? Yeah. That's because you have backup options, you still have credibility, you have resources, you have a network, you have people supporting you in, in some shape or form. Hi there, we hope you're enjoying the episode so far. At Global Changemakers, we support youth to create a positive change towards more inclusive, fair and sustainable communities. We do this by providing skills development, capacity building, mentoring and grants. Head to our website global-changemakers.net to join our programs and use our resources. Now on with the rest of the episode. Mm -hmm. Exactly, right. And so just that level of commitment um, is very different. Uh, and then another one is cross-cultural insights. And so there's a few studies that have been published that show that when students tap into uh, study abroad experiences, they end up creating better ventures. And and this is probably very tied to global change makers as well. And they, there was a study of migrants that when they tap into their you know, thoughts about their home country, they tend to create better ventures. And so a great example of this is someone I did an interview with recently who I wrote about in the book named Razan. She started a, a company called Yorkshire Dama Cheese in the UK. And she came from Syria after some blasts in her husband's office. He, he was okay, thankfully. But she was eminently qualified and couldn't get a job in the UK. And so she came up with this idea because she had seen this halloumi cheese in, in Syria being really popular. And then she saw the British milk being quite well-fitting for making that kind of cheese. And so she was able to come up with this kind of other way of looking at the resources in Britain that others maybe couldn't have seen. And now it's, you know, with a very small loan, like we talked about, to 2,500 pounds uh, from the government, is able to create a business that makes over 100K. Uh, pounds uh, in revenue per um, per year, won a lot of awards and employed mm -hmm. a lot of people. So that's another one. And then quickly, the other kind of reasons that they tend to be more entrepreneurial. One is actually not about them, but about society is that they tend to not, like Razan, either they can't get a job because their mm -hmm. qualifications aren't appropriately credited, 
or they feel the discrimination and then get kind of pushed out of their jobs or, mm-hmm. or decide to, to not do it. Oh, the last one is empathy. So I mentioned it earlier, but all of the applicants I get for DreamX America, and Esma is a good example, a great amount of empathy for the kids that she was doing the storytelling for. And so they often want to create a home in their new community and have a good sense of understanding of the customer because of that. I also believe that they can be more creative because they just have to, you know, you have to, you have to hustle because what else are you going to do? You need to earn some money. So what are you going to do? And then you become an expert at it. And then there's the matter of then that creativity being channeled properly and supported so that you can thrive even more and and that's where this sort of initiatives come in and can help right i definitely Mm -hmm. the refugee crisis is real is something that is very worrying in many ways and it's not it's not going away this is not a problem that we can solve from one day to another not everyone is working on the on the topic i am curious what was your motivation, your inspiration uh, behind getting into this particular topic and then writing a whole book, meeting a, a lot of people and uh, and yeah, and having this amazing project that now is a, a book. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think a lot of it was seeing that the, so first I'll start by the book's title is 25 Million Sparks. Um, because there were 25 million refugees in the world at the time of my beginning to write. Ended up being 26.4 by the time I sent the book to press. And that now, unfortunately, it's over 30 million um, because of the 6 million and counting refugees from, from the Ukraine. And so it's an issue that I think is, uh, you know, it's the most refugees in the history of the world at one time. Um, over 200 million displaced now, which is also the most. And for me, you know, in terms of inspiration, I was, uh, I just saw kind of the disconnect between all the, you know, my parents being immigrants from Egypt mm-hmm. um, and all the other immigrants and refugees that I knew and had worked with, their impact on their local communities was so beautiful and so positive and so amazing. And yet you see the media portrayals as not that, as victims or as villains. And then you start making, connecting the dots and, you know, you see, the percentage of Americans who said that they did not want to welcome Syrians uh, mm. in the United States or only wanted to welcome Syrians who are not Muslim or only Christians was mm-hmm. uh, over 50% at one point when I wrote the book. And so you start making the connection saying, well, why do people think that way? It's because they maybe don't see the human story of it and they just hear the rhetoric and the, the wrong headed mm-hmm. kind of perceptions. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was how do we break through that and tell a story that's much more unifying and and tells the the real beauty that goes on and particularly with Syria the Zetri camp is known to be really entrepreneurial and particularly with Syria it's been over 10 years and very few times did the world really tap into to this story it it got old very quickly i think and it's yeah. quite sad because half the country is displaced you have you know women children and men just killed completely you know left to their own devices living in camps um, living in host cities um, where mm-hmm. they're low. And so I wanted to shine a light on that, but in a way that acknowledged the, you know, clearly acknowledged the, the disaster and the pain and the fact that these folks had nothing to do with it, but then also talked about their ingenuity and creativity and hope so that they're seen as real powerful human beings and the heroes that they are. Mm-hmm. 
it's interesting how you're saying well the story got old but there are still people suffering because of it and i feel the same thing happened with afghanistan and mm -hmm. that story got killed really really fast nobody is investigating more in that particular topic because now we have a crisis in ukraine right so it's it's almost as if there's a hierarchy of who are we talking about and why and i i remember some of the gcms when the crisis started in ukraine and, and some of the gcms that are working and have been refugees and work in that space have said let's work for all refugees we should all be acknowledged and we should be helping everyone not some being left behind because then a lot of things start to emerge in terms of you know xenophobia uh in terms of racism so yeah. And, and in terms of the discrimination because of your religious backgrounds and so on. So I do feel that this is something that we we cannot just say, oh, no, that story is too old. We cannot, right. like, we, we don't want to talk about that anymore because the, the, the situation is real. And perhaps uh, we could end with a little bit of the current situation for refugees how do you see it and uh, how do you feel that young people that are listening can help or get more involved or even i feel that even learning more uh, about the topic can help a lot yeah definitely i think um the first is you know in terms of the situation as i said over 30 million refugees Unfortunately, very, very few, less than 1% are formally resettled. Part of why that is, is that only 30 countries partake in the refugee resettlement program, and none of them do enough. Uh, the U.S. has mm. historically been a leader, but they lagged a lot recently, just mm. coming back up a little bit. But so the first is the policy of welcoming refugees and accepting them into our countries. That's like the most critical thing because, you know, the vast majority are living in limbo and, and not yeah. in a situation they should be. And the ones that are living in limbo or in general refugees, 85, 80 to 85% are in developing countries, not, um, or at least not high, high income countries. Mm -hmm. uh, and so a lot of the high income countries need to do more uh, to welcome refugees uh, to kind of do their fair share of that moral obligation that was kind of agreed upon after World War II. And so there's advocating kind of our na national policies to welcome refugees. And then there's a more local kind of element of how do we integrate refugees. And so I think anyone listening, if you have an immigrant welcoming center or refugee resettlement center in your hometown or where you are providing, if your you know, company can provide resources, providing funding, providing support, providing housing for refugees, that's often a, an immediate need, providing loans or investment in refugee businesses. If there's certainly a local organization or, or a church or a mosque or a synagogue or a religious group that's doing that, um, and so tapping into that is really important. Anybody who works or has their own startup or company or, or works for a company, thinking about how do you do your part to welcome refugees. And so there are staffing agencies that can help with that, like Amplio Recruiting and others, but making sure that, that your process is welcoming of refugees and doesn't discriminate against them. And then there are the international organizations too. Save the Children Jordan was one that I worked very closely with through the book. And so they do great work in the camp. Um, they help, for example, Esma as a teacher for them. They help do programs that Malik shows her art at, you know, and there's other organizations like the UNHCR that do work internationally. And Kiva, uh, you can loan directly to refugees filtering on. Yeah. Um, so that's another thing you can do. But yeah, a lot that can be done. I think starting locally is very helpful. Uh, and then finally, just on the point about storytelling is pushing back against stories 
that don't tell a full story of, of refugees. I like to talk about, you know, I was talking in Stanford recently, and it truly is no difference between you and uh, and me and, and somebody who was in Syria in mm -hmm. uh, the early stages of the war. It's just that the time and place you were born, you're in a more yeah. stable place. Uh, and so it would be like if were had to flee to Mexico suddenly because there was a war and you had to go to a refugee camp, you put all your stuff in a truck, you didn't have a work permit, you didn't know where your family was. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it's try try to talk about it in terms like that because there's no classes of people. It's just that that's what happened to them and they had no say in it. And so thinking about it like that, I think is a good motivation to start helping people locally. I think that changes everything because well, here in Colombia, we did not have as many refugees from the from the Middle East, for example. Well, yes, a lot of decades ago, but at the moment, we're not receiving as many as other countries or even uh, people from Ukraine. We're not receiving as many, but we have a neighboring country that is Venezuela, and we have received a lot of Venezuelans. If that narrative was so easily changed from one to another, then how can we create a new one? and do something that is positive for and now we know that it's that it will not only be positive for them as people and as families but then for the community because there's a lot that they give back in terms of you know even even in the that economical aspect that you spoke about so i think that is that is something to consider uh, and something worth it to to explore a little bit more. Andrew, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for for your time because I know because of the the book launch and everything you're super busy because of your studies and everything. As you said before, you've been in the academia for <laughs> a very long time. But uh, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to do this. I don't know if you want to send a my a final message for change makers out there or young people that want to do something or that want to get started in their change making journey um sure yeah thank and thank you to you for all that you're doing uh, global change makers again has had such an impact on me both tactically and just inspiring me to think bigger about what i can do in the world um so thank you for this podcast and for all that you're doing and the team is doing i think if i left folks with one message it would be to just think about if you're trying to figure out what you want to pursue one thing i've always found helpful. Howard Thurman, who is uh, kind of a, a mentor of Martin Luther King, um, has a quote, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. I think there are different ways you can take that quote. But for me, I think about if my life is just kind of living at an emotional neutral level, um, what are the things every day that really make me come alive? Like, what are the things that or topics or people or locations that kind of elevate my spirit in a way and think about those as a starting point and those pictures and those moments. And I think that will help kind of pursue, you know, you might not ever find like one passion that's like, oh, I was meant to do this, but I think you can tap into what you were meant to do uh, or one of the things you're meant to do by listening to that um, signal inside of you. What are the things that make you come alive? Uh, and then just start creating and pursuing and yeah, it'll be, it'll be something worthwhile and something you'll look back at with pride. Thank you for that beautiful message and for, for your time. And I think it's going to be really, really inspiring for young people out there. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. 
If you want to reach out, you can contact us via email at info at global-changemakers.net. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions. Join our global community of young changemakers on Instagram at Global Changemakers, Twitter at WeAreGCM, and Facebook. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and support. To help us continue to inspire more young people, share this podcast on your social media or contribute with your donations. Find all the info and links in the comments below and see you in the next episode.